Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. From my standpoint, quite frankly, like if you don't want the guy to potentially showboat or bat flip or whatever, uh, get him out. Don't don't give them the opportunity to to have something to celebrate. It's it, it, my answer is exactly the same whether we're talking about an opponent uh, celebrating something they've done against us as it would be when you know a year ago when we're talking about Tim Anderson uh, or any of our players who are, are demonstrating a little personality on the field. I, I, it's you know uh, there's not uh, room in the current game, in my opinion, for. Uh, you know, taking a player's potentially risking a player's health by by mm-hmm. intentionally throwing an object at him. White Sox GM Rick Hahn. He was that came from an interview he did with Inside the Clubhouse, Bruce Levine and Mike Esposito this morning. The full interview will be brought to you later on in this hour. Some terrific stuff by Hahn. Um, connecting some dots for you, perhaps. And there he is. He's talking about you don't want a guy to, to act out. Well, get him out. It's really that simple. That's the GM of the, of the team where you had the manager and the pitcher and the pitching coach thrown out of the game for throwing it, hitting Wilson Contreras and everybody denying it and say, no, it just got away. Well, tough guy throwing a 98-mile weapon at somebody. And and you're telling you it just got away and you're full of crap and nobody believes you. So that just, that sort of punctuates a week of what was a spike on Thursday, the first team to clinch a playoff spot, to now a team plummeting to the seventh spot, the first wild card. So we'll check in with someone who sounded angry, emotional, somebody who was um, apoplectic. So on Saturday Suckage, we welcome back to the score Josh Nelson. He joins us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. Josh at the Sox Machine. We might as well make a wellness check on you the way we did Lawrence Holmes. <laughs> How are you today, Josh? We we know you're good enough to answer the phone. We consider that progress. How are you, sir? I, I am doing well. I would advise Lawrence Holmes that the Venezuelan rum is not as good as the rum from Curacao the island off Venezuela. Um, But if I had to compare the White Sox to a sparkling water, I would say that the recent flavor would be cucumber because Mm. it is gross watching this team right now. (laughs) There you You go, Josh. 
It's funny you say that, Josh, because I am uh, sipping on a peach pear LaCroix Ooh. sparkling water right now, which is just absolutely delish. I'm sure that is refreshing, more refreshing than whatever I watched last night between the Cubs and White Sox. So I am jealous, Mark. The the week, the way it played out, the the yeah. the the. It seems like they reached their height. Hey, we're in the playoffs. That's it. Everybody releases a breath. Everybody exhales. Mm-hmm. And then it seems to have exposed every last fault, every last, the manager inexperienced in high leverage situations, players inexperienced. Here's It's really easy to play fast and loose when everything's weird and we're just hitting and we're going to come back from everything. Now we're not hitting. Now we're not coming back. It seems like a group choke born of an experience of being in this spot as a group, this way together. And that's the way it seems to me, players as well as management. How does it look to you? Have you broken it down by parts or is this just an epic franchise fail at this moment? I've broken it down by parts. I think the relaxation and backing off the gas was definitely true in this series against the Cincinnati Reds, where they only played one game really well. And that was the game that was on national TV. A.J. Pruszynski was on the call for Fox. And they won that game 5 to nothing. And Tim Anderson hit a couple of homers. As a matter of fact, they had three homers in a row. Uh, but they lost game one and game three, and they were not competitive at all against the Reds. And then I think for the first two games of the series against Cleveland, they kind of shrugged it off. Uh, There's not much you can do when Jose Ramirez is hitting the way that he's hitting. But games three and four, this was a preview of what is going to happen on Tuesday and Wednesday for the White Sox having Giolito and Keiko go games one and two. And they lost those games, games that they should have won. And you have the star players, I think, performing well. Abreu still performing well. Gilito and Keiko prove that they can go toe-to-toe against whomever and put the White Sox in a position to win, no matter the caliber of starting pitcher that they're going up against. It's just that Jimmy Cordero is letting you down. And putting Carlos Rodon in a situation that he hasn't appeared in since his rookie year, and he hasn't even thrown in a game in seven weeks, shouldn't shock you that he failed in that situation. Gio Gonzalez is probably done. I mean, he's fighting through shoulder injuries all season long, and he's got a bad groin. uh, So he's probably done, and he has failed you. And I think for the postseason, Rick Renteria really needs to change his mindset where less becomes more, that you only have five arms that you can trust in the bullpen right now. So that should be your mindset. I'm only using these five guys out of the bullpen, and I'm going to try to have Giolito and Keiko go as deep as they possibly can for me in games one and two, and I need to stack the lineups so I win those two, the, the first two games. Because of the White Sox split after the two games, I think it's a really tricky situation in game three for them because you're going to have to rely on a young, inexperienced starting pitcher in a playoff situation in game three. And I think that that type of scenario could dig them into a hole that they cannot climb out of. Uh, So for the White Sox right now, things are pretty dire 
I'm not exactly confident that they are going to continue their unbeaten streak against left-handed pitching today against the <laughs> Cubs and John, Lo- and John Lester. Um, but as far as going to next week, this is a team that if they want to move into the divisional series, they're going to need to sweep. Let me get back to to Rick Renteria and what you you mentioned the the Carlos Rodon fiasco and during yeah. his Zoom post game Ricky Renteria said in a passive aggressive manner for sure a couple of times if you want to blame me go ahead and blame me blame me that's fine that's fine so yeah. to me the interpretation of that is it's actually not my fault there's things going on that you don't know about and you know maybe blame the player but to me that I'll take it a step further I think that what happened there had to have been cross-checked with with the GM of the team, Rick Hahn. There's no way, there's no way Ricky Renteria on his own brings, not only he comes off the injured list to pitch, period, but is put in that situation. Don't you think that Rick Hahn had to have approved or maybe even suggested if we're going to use Carlos Rodon at some point in time, it's going to be in high leverage in the postseason, so go ahead and do it. Don't you think Rick Hahn had to have been a part of that and probably deserve some blame too, or do you think Ricky acted on his own? I don't think Ricky acted on his own. I think there is – Don Cooper has a lot to say as far as that pitching staff for the Chicago White Sox. I, I don't know if Rick Hahn makes that decision from up top and demands to the White Sox clubhouse, you must use Carlos Rodon in that situation. <laughs> um, but it could be that Renteria asked Coop, okay, we've got, we got Rodon and Bummer back. How should we use them? And Cooper may advise, you know, listen, if Rodon's throwing 96-97, and if that slider works, we should use Rodon in high-leverage situations. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, that's the clubhouse decision. And uh, it, it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is that it's not the stuff. Carlos Rodon is having the problem that Dylan Cease is having. There's no command. I mean, Rodon cannot hit the target. And when you rewatch that game, yeah, he's throwing 96-97 right down the pipe because he can't hit the corners anymore. He's lost whatever command that he had when he first started with the White Sox, and that might be part to blame for his injuries as far as his bad shoulder and then having Tommy John surgery. He hasn't regained that command. Uh, I'm to the point, you know, people have asked me, then what is the situation you use Carlos Rodon? You don't. I think for the White <laughs> exactly. Sox... If you need a lefty, I think Garrett Crochet has proven that he can hold his own right now. Aaron Bummer, he's only pitched one inning. He should pitch tonight uh, to continue to break some more rust off for the White Sox. I have trust in Aaron Bummer, but right now for the White Sox, it's very simple. The relievers you should use are Matt Foster, Cody Hoyer, Garrett Crochet, Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, and Alex Colomay. If your name is not, was not mentioned by me, there is no point in time in the postseason that Rick Renteria should ever have you warm up. Unless it is the 17th inning, there's no reason for you to warm up. And I think that's the way that the strategy has to be for the White Sox moving forward. He obviously couldn't use that in Cleveland because you're in a tire and burn out your bullpen that way. But moving forward, starting next week, those are the guys. Nobody else from the White Sox bullpen should be appearing in games. The rest of you are excused to go to lunch. Yeah, right. Dress up, get your per diem, and right. uh, watch the game. 
and be quiet. <laughs> put a yeah, put a mask on. See. Okay, so I, I sensed anger in the recitation of facts in the middle of the week, Josh. He sent out, just so to bring people up to date, he sent out a text, a tweet, I mean, that compared Marcelo Zuna, Nicholas Castellanos, oh, God, yeah. Cole Calhoun, and then the fearsome Nomar Mazzara. And the whole point was ultimately leading up to the idea that Mazzara is slugging 287 and Marcelo Zuna is slugging 630. The other two guys are, these are all, so just share with us the, the anger and the object of the exercise, Josh. Okay, so Mark, this is Rickon's fault. Uh, <laughs> when, it comes to, um, when it comes to the White Sox right field situation. So I was in San Diego at the winter meetings when this trade happened, lounging in the hotel lobby. And I was a bit shocked because there were so many options available on the table for the White Sox before they traded for Noah Mazar. It was reported afterwards that the White Sox had met with Yasiel Puig and his representative in San Diego, and those conversations were uh, constructive. And there was a lot of rumors that Marcelo Zuna may have had a deal already with the White Sox. That was not true. Um, Nicholas Castellanos was still a free agent. Uh, Cole Calhoun at the at that moment, I don't believe, signed. So you have all of these options available in right field to address that position for you. And they decided that the best option to go was Nomar Mazzara. Mazzara has been playing so poorly that on Sox Machine, we always have the off-season plan project and where you get to be the GM, and these are the decisions that Rick Hahn has to make in the off-season. How would you go about the off-season, and what does next year's roster look like? I can't imagine at this moment it's worth the money for the White Sox to bring Nomar Mazzara back as he's entering his final year of arbitration. And typically in final year of arbitration, you get a salary bump. So he's getting paid a little more than $4 million this year. Do you want to pay Nomar Mazzara $8 million and go through this exercise again? I don't think there's anything that I've seen in 2020 to suggest that he's even going to be the version that you thought you were trading for from the Texas Rangers. He may join Daniel Polka and play for the Samsung Lions in the KBO next year with the way that he's been playing. And Dude, look he, he's got at, one homer. One he's homer. got one homer. I know. And then look at everybody else. That's the point that I was making with the tweet. Azuna, Castellanos, even Cole Calhoun, who was not a sexy pick, and I probably would have rolled my eyes at that signing. They're all hitting. And look at that production that the White Sox desperately need right now. And unfortunately, you have to play this game again in right field this upcoming offseason. And I don't know if there's enough money on the table to convince George Springer, who's going to be a free agent, uh, to come to Chicago and be that right fielder for you. So I think the White Sox have to go back to the drawing board with Nomar Mazzara. And, and a lot of this is on Mazzara. Just there, There's nothing as far as a player development aspect that you can blame the White Sox for, but you can blame the White Sox front office for deciding to go with Mazzara when there were plenty and better options available that they could have went in right field.
Josh. All right, let, Josh. let me get us back on a slightly happier track because, Josh, you <laughs> and I have been discussing Garrett Crochet since there were not sports and the possibility yep. of Garrett Crochet <laughs> being called up to the big team. You predicted when I would pin you down to answer the question, you predicted that he would be on the roster at some point in time this year. How about freaking Garrett Crochet and what he's done so far, Josh? Uh, it's it's eye-opening. I mean, the only tape – so this convert – I knew Garrett Crochet – Late, late last year, talking to Jim Callis about draft prospects. And he told me, Josh, there's a name in the SEC that's really rising up after fall ball. And this, this, this left-hander from Tennessee named Garrett Crochet, he was only throwing 90-91 his freshman year, and now he's throwing 97. And there's a lot of scouts that are hyping him up. I'm like, okay, you go to YouTube – you have the full game of Garrett Crochet against Ole Miss his freshman year. Yep, 90-91, long arm action. He's throwing 97 now. How is that possible? And then you put in the tape uh, on his appearance this year's one game against Wright State, and he made the adjustment that Giolito made. He's shoring up his arm, and he doesn't have the arm bar anymore. And now he's throwing 99. And I'm thinking, this is an ESPN gun. It's the college baseball broadcast, which is a two-camera setup. Is he really throwing 99? And then he appears in the major leagues, and he's hitting 101. Um, so it's, it's just been a shocking revelation for Crochet every time he comes out. And in his last appearance, he showed hitters, here's my changeup, it's 93, and here's my slider. That's in the high 80s. And I think, ultimately, he is someone that could be an Andrew Miller, Josh Hader type. I am concerned about his ability to continue that type of velocity in a deeper start, five-plus innings. I think the velocity starts to wane a little bit after his third inning. That's what it looked like against Wright State. Uh, When he got past the third inning, he was starting to sit 96, 97. But if you have that type of arm in your bullpen that can go two innings for you, and he's hitting 101 miles an hour, and he's got a really good changeup, and he's got a just bat-breaking slider that he can just bust inside on right-handers, that is incredibly valuable for every team. Every team wants a Garrett Crochet in their bullpen. So the fact that the White Sox have Garrett Crochet now, and that is a toy that Rick Renteria can use uh, during the postseason, I think should give White Sox fans hope that, yes, this past week has sucked, but if they can get the lead late into the game, they have someone like Crochet that could help get the ball to Alex Colomay. And that formula has worked for the White Sox all season long and should give White Sox fans hope that they can at least get through the wild card round and get to the divisional series. Josh, I want to wish you and your supply of rum good luck today against the left-hander. And if that doesn't work out for you, you may want to change the Sox Machine blog to at Rum Machine. And I wish you good luck with that as well. Thanks for your time and just take a breath, okay? No problem. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful week, guys. You See you, too. man. That's Josh Nelson at Sox Machine. Very quite passionate. Love having him on. Brings good information. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, second half of the hour, we'll present to you the replay of the Rick Hahn interview. Before that, what are you doing, Wagner, with just like one of the most perfect what are you doing, Wagner, stories 
there is. It involves golf and music and Bill Murray. What could be better than that? We'll bring oh, you that yeah. in a moment. Saturday Suckage. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rohde, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. What are you doing, Wagner? Oh, we're going to get to that here in a second, but first, a bit of breaking news that certainly could and probably will affect the Bears game tomorrow in Atlanta. Falcons cornerback A.J. Terrell's positive COVID-19 test came back overnight, so he was not at their walkthrough today. This is according to Tom Pelissero. No one else was positive, and all other individuals tested again this morning as usual. Those results will come back early tomorrow morning, early on Sunday morning. And, um, you know, this is a guy, A.J. Terrell, the their 16th pick, the 16th overall pick in the first round to Atlanta this year, who has not played particularly well, actually, in the secondary, along with Isaiah Oliver. So if he doesn't play, it's obviously going to be a blow to that team. But I don't know how big of a blow it's going to be because their secondary has just been playing playing bad this year, Steve. Yes, they have, and that's that's you know, and here comes here comes MVP Mitch, and so it, the news keeps getting better for the Bears. That's it. You just you're going to want to pass against this team, and even though you won by running the ball and having balance, this is a team. This is a game, a secondary, a defense. It just begs to be put out of its deep threat misery. We'll see if the Bears can do that. Um, okay, so we are doing What Are You Doing, Wagner? It's a shorter segment, but I wanted to share this. This was so wonderful this week. <clears throat> Peter Paterno of King Holmes, Paterno, and Soriano sent this letter regarding the Doobie Brothers' Listen to the Music addressed to Bill Murray. We are writing on behalf of our clients, the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie Brothers perform and recorded the song Listen to the music, which Tom Johnson of the Doobie Brothers wrote. It's a fine song. I know you agree because you keep using it in your ads for your zero hucks given golf shirts. However, given you haven't paid to use it, maybe you should change the company name to zero bucks given. We understand that you're running. We understand that you're running other ads using music from other of our clients. It seems like the only person who uses our clients' music without permission more than you do is Donald Trump. There is wow. this, this is the part where I'm supposed to cite the United States Copyright Act, excoriate you for complying with some subparagraph that I'm too lazy to look up, and threaten you with eternal damnation for doing so. But you already earned that with those Garfield movies. Wow, there's a <laughs> shot. But you already know that you can't use music and ads without paying for it. We'd almost be okay with it if the shirts weren't so damn ugly. But it is what it is. So the immortal words of Jean-Paul Sartre, au revoir golfer et paye. Paye. So anyways, that's what what the Doobie Brothers sent. The Doobie Brothers law firm sent to Bill Murray of William Murray Golf. Well, guess what? Bill Murray has a law firm too. And Uh-oh. that law firm of Yaffe and Cooper responded. <laughs> First, I would like to compliment you on finding levity in the law at a time when the world in this country could certainly use a laugh. Your client's demand was able to cut through the noise of the news cycle and remind us how much we all miss live music these days. 
We would also like to confirm that both our firm and the good folks at William Murray Golf are indeed fans of the Doobie Brothers music, which is why we appreciate your firm's choice of, quote, taking it to the streets rather Mm. than to the courts, Mm. which are already overburdened, quote, minute by minute with real problems. So then Yaffe, part of Yaffe and Cooper, the law firm, noted that Howard King, an attorney at the law firm representing the Doobie Brothers, also represented Robin Thicke during that singer's The Blurred Lines battle against the Marvin Gaye estate and added that the Doobie Brothers were not harmed by the golf company commercials. Quoting now from uh, from Bill Murray's attorney, in the immortal words of Mr. Murray, the more relaxed you are, the better you are at everything. So let's pour one up and unwind with a listen of the recently released Quadio box set and plan to cross paths at a Doobie Brothers 50th anniversary show in 2021 when some level of normalcy resumes. As your client so aptly stated in the classic song in question, what the people need is a way to make them smile, which both Bill and the Doobies have been doing for decades as world-class entertainers. And Yaffe, Bill Murray's attorney, closed out his response by offering to send William Murray golf shirts to each member of their band and, quote, hopefully win, win each of you over as a new fans of the brand. At least that's what this fool believes. It's in the hole! That is adorable. I, it is. I liked it. Yeah, it's uh, very good. And I'd How like to point is- out, too, that I... I saw yeah. the I actually saw the the Doobie Brothers and Boston in the mud and rain in Chicago about five years ago. So all oh, the good old days of non-social distancing and Doobie Brothers Boston music. You guys remember like gathering in large groups like that? For, oh my for god, music? man! Yeah, and now when I Wait, see like like concerts, videos you guys of it, remember concerts? Oh my god! Yeah, how about concerts that we were supposed to go to this year? How about oh, don't the even Rage get, Against don't even get the me started. Rage Against the Machine? I was supposed to see at United Center this year, and unfortunately, I got my two hundred dollars back. I didn't want the two hundred dollars back. I just wanted to see Rage Against the Machine. All right. There's a show that I was supposed to go to for this band called The Format that broke up like ten years ago. So, and I, I like just discovered them right when they were breaking up, and so. I never got a chance to see them live, and they're doing like a three-show reunion tour. This supposed to be this year, now rescheduled for next year, and it's one of the shows is in Chicago, so I got tickets for it immediately. But I can't go now, obviously, because they had to reschedule it, and it's just infuriating. Ten damn it years. It is. Maybe. And Steve, had you had had you any plans to go see Wilco this year, Steve E. Sunshine? I I, I had not. I had not, but I would okay. just um, Trash Panda. I can only suggest that you you hit up. Josh Nelson or Lawrence Holmes for some of that demon rum. Maybe that'll serve as a proper palliative. <laughs> you know, I'm really more of a bourbon drinker, but I'm willing to expand to rum. I'll, it's I'll the, the White Sox uh, choice of drink right now, apparently. Yeah, what, that, are you, that yeah. rum. what are you drinking? Whatever you're pouring. That's kind of the way it goes these days. Hey, I want to update you on some programming information on this here radio station, The Score. The Cubs take on the White Sox all weekend. All weekend long on the score right here, this very radio station, the Wintrust Crosstown Series is presented by Xfinity. Xfinity X5 delivers blazing fast Wi-Fi with no curveballs. We have Bears programming this Sunday. 
We have the pregame show from 9 to noon. Hub, Patrick Manley, Olin Krutz. They are the Bet Rivers pregame show is presented by Mail Medical. Then the prop swap post postgame show presented by PNC Bank with Olin Krutz and Anthony Heron will be brought to you after the Cubs postgame. We're going to take a break. After that, we're going to present you with a wide-ranging and informative interview that Bruce Levine and Mike Esposito did with Sox GM Rick Hahn. That's because we're pleasers, not teasers, here on Saturday Suckage. We suck so you don't have to. The White Sox are defying us at every turn. We'll be back in a moment. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Here we go. Here we go. So tomorrow, Bears, Falcons, Bears, Falcons, Bears, Falcons, Bears should win 40 to 39 again. So, Mark, your broadcast day tomorrow, share with the class real quickly before we get out of here. Yeah, so I will be appearing on dueling pregame tomorrow, all part of the Intercom family. I'll be on the score pregame show right around 1040 or so when the inactives come out, so I'll I will chop it up with the boys on our pregame show with Hub and Patrick and Olin and those guys. And then I will also be part of the the pregame show over on WBBM early in their pregame show around 9 o'clock. I'll have two interviews, two one-on-one interviews that uh, I will have for the pregame show uh, tomorrow. One of those will be with Riley Ridley, who, of course, has a brother named Calvin Ridley, who plays for the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, Riley Ridley's been an interesting topic because he's been inactive for the first couple weeks. So we'll hear what he has on his mind um, as one of the interviews. And then Barkevius Mingo, very interesting guy who had his first sack with the Bears last week, will also be part of that. Um, And then I'll be here reporting on the Bears throughout the game on Twitter. That's excellent. So we will uh, we will leave you with this. Our broadcast day after us at 2 o'clock, Bears All Access, 2 to 3. 3 o'clock is the Bulldog edition of Hit and Run. That's Saturday's Bulldog, Sunday's Hit and Run on Saturday. Matt Spiegel will be here taking it up to the Cubs-Sox game. Game 2, John Lester goes tonight against Dane Dunning. Now, manager, the general manager of those White Sox, Rick Hahn, joined Bruce Levine and Mike Esposito earlier on Inside the Clubhouse. So this is Steve Rosenblum and Mark Grody on Saturday Suckage saying thanks for listening. And bye, here's Rick Hahn from earlier today. Bye, bye, Mark. Be good, Mark. Okay, bye, bye, bye. And here's Rick Hahn from bye. Inside the Clubhouse this morning. President and general of your playoff-bound Chicago White Sox, Rick Hahn, nice enough to take some time out on a Saturday morning to join us in Inside the Clubhouse. That that. Uh, sound old to you, uh, playoff-bound Chicago White Sox. Uh, will it, Rick? No, hopefully, uh, you know, over the next several years, we'll be able to say that repeatedly because that uh, that obviously was the mission that we set out on uh, a little over, well, now almost four years ago when we began this this rebuild. So it's good to get there in 2020, but we obviously know we're, our work's not done here over the next few months, much less over the next few years. Looking at, uh, you know, we'll get into, you know, some of the heavier topics that are happening right now. But you, on many occasions, whether it was in person or Zoom, starting in spring training in Glendale and going through this, cautioned us and pointed out uh, that the White Sox are a very good team. We hope to get to the playoffs, which you have accomplished. We hope to win the World Series 
but that we are still a team developing. We are still a team that's going to get better. And we are still a team uh, that uh, is going to have some growing pains uh, because of player development. Can, can you, uh, uh, you know, just talk a little bit about that and, and your perception of that right now as you close in on going to the playoffs? Uh, you know, I think that the one of the larger themes for this season was this team learning how to win and learning how to compete at the highest level for championship. At the end of last season, uh, you know, we talked about where we were in terms of this rebuild, and we were pretty clear that we felt that sort of the first stage had been completed in terms of talent accumulation, in terms of coming up with a young core, uh, albeit not all that was necessarily here in Chicago already, and we'll we'll still be adding to it in the next uh, year or so. And that it was time to take that next step, that sort of transition stage that ultimately would get us to the third stage of being ready to win uh, a championship. And the question really was how long this middle stage was going to take. And that was only going to be answered in, you know, in part by the acquisitions we were able to make over the offseason and in part by being blessed with good health, but also in terms of how quickly this sort of young group came together and, and learned how to win. And we've seen, you know, over the course of certainly over the last week, uh, but over the last two months, you know, the, the progress with this group and still the challenges that lay ahead. There's as frustrating as the last several days have been, the fact that we're finishing this season playing, you know, 17 in a row and 14 in a row uh, to finish against playoff teams is actually a really good experience for these guys uh the environment when we played minnesota last week certainly when we played in cleveland the last several days that's been a playoff environment at least as close as you can get to it uh without fans in the ballpark and playing in that you know those consequential games late in the season uh with that level of intensity is a wonderful experience for this young group to go through much less what we're going to experience starting next week when the playoffs begin so this is this is serving us well. Obviously, our, our aim is to win the, this year's championship. Uh, but if for whatever reason we fall short of that, there is going to be uh, important progress made this year. Yeah, Rick and uh, Bruce and I were just looking at the the playoff seedings uh, and you know what if the season ended today, which would be completely different than. Uh, what it'll look like when the season actually does end after after play tomorrow. And we heard Ricky say, coming into the segment, uh, the cut we played, uh, you know, basically I don't care who we play uh, in the playoffs. Um, as as the team's general manager and, and watching the, the peaks and valleys and the ups and downs and, and everything uh, that's happened in this crazy season, uh, heading into the postseason, how was it that uh, that you are able to? Are you able to look back on that with uh, with your wide lens and say, okay, here's here's where this team is at right now, and and let's see, let's go get them. You know, looking at it with a wide lens, I, I think that if you had told any of us before the season started that we were going to win, you know, 34 to 36 games and and be a playoff team and and enter the last weekend with a chance still to win the division we probably would have been pretty excited about that. We would have viewed that, you know, back in spring training as real good progress for this team and a good position to be in. Uh, it's easy to lose sight of that over the last week, given the way we've played. And it certainly has been real frustrating. And, and you know, maybe we should have looked at the fine print in spring training if someone had offered that to us and realized that this last week was going to be challenging, but to get there, uh, 
but it's it's with the wide lens you can see that progress but honestly you know when you're in the midst of a slump like this uh it's easy to lose sight of that uh you are so focused on trying to win that night's ball game uh and the team wanting to just you know get that victory under the belt and and the the slump and and you know get ready for uh entering the postseason hopefully with momentum uh but the fact is is you're right from a wide lens standpoint this has been a real positive overall given where we sit today Rick Hahn joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. He is the vice president general manager of your Southside players and franchise. Rick, um, as we talk about the growth chart for your players, uh, we would be remiss not talking about that for your manager and coaches as well, being in this position for the first time uh, as a group uh, with a team that has a chance to win and are now advancing to the playoffs. Uh, you look back at uh, you know Thursday and uh, Ricky taking a lot of heat uh, for his decision making and uh, the growth of uh, dealing with those situations, coming through it, uh, standing up and uh, and being the guy he has to be moving forward. How how would you uh, you know say that this is for him and the coaches as far as dealing with the reality of important games? for the first time in their careers, in their positions? Well, look, I think that we saw how accountable Ricky was the other day uh, and stood up and, and answered the questions in, in the face of criticism, which is what you would want uh, in that scenario. I don't feel like there necessarily was the need for any growth in that regard uh, in terms of you know, taking responsibility and, and being accountable. That's been something that Ricky and the staff has preach to the players going back to the early stages of, of, of this rebuild. And it's part of the culture that uh, all of us wanted to create. So uh, the fact that he's living up to that is, is not a surprise. And it is what we've seen uh, for the last several years, perhaps because the games are more intense and the stakes are a little higher. Uh, it falls under more scrutiny, but I think in terms of being up to that challenge, he, he and the staff have always, always have been. Yeah, he he and uh, he and Poop, uh, Coop both got uh, pretty hot last night uh, after the uh, the whole uh, bat flip thing, uh, and then Jimmy Cordero with uh, uh, with the uh, the ball that got away from him and hit Contreras uh, uh, got a little fire in their steps there yesterday. Yeah, and, and look, that's that's understandable. Uh, having the the uh, stakes are are high, the the desire to enter the postseason in in uh, peak form is, is in you know, burning in all those guys. So yeah, the competitiveness is going to spill over sometimes. Uh, you know, I think that uh, in the end, showing that passion and that fight is a positive. And that is not a surprise to any of us who are around the team and around Ricky. Uh, you know, that, that's, that comes out in that scenario. He's always going to, uh, you know, want to defend his guys. And if he felt like something wasn't handled properly and without the explanation he was looking for, that uh, you're going to see that fire from him. I mean, it, I think we went like 55 games without an injection, uh, ejection, and now we the last several days we've had like five. So it's, uh, it's certainly that time of year where things have uh, peaked up a little bit in terms of the intensity and, and uh, seeing our, our coaches respond to that isn't a surprise. 
hitting hitting a player that just uh, showed you up. Oh boy, that's you know so horrible. How has baseball changed so much, Rick, over the years? Where this was just a formality, you know, ten years ago. You know, if you uh, if if you uh, hit a home run and you showed the uh, the opposition up a little bit, now it's considered in 2020. Guys have a right to establish themselves as as uh, entertainers as well as performers. And uh, yeah. how dare you throw at them? Where where have we gone? And and how do you, how do you perceive uh, that type of change? No, I, look, I, you're probably actually better suited to speak to the how dramatic the change has been over the last several decades. From my standpoint, quite frankly, like if you don't want the guy to potentially showboat or bat flip or whatever, uh, get them out. Don't, don't give them the opportunity to, to have something to celebrate. It's, it, it, my answer is exactly the same, whether we're talking about an opponent uh, celebrating something they've done against us as it would be when, you know, a year ago when we're talking about Tim Anderson uh, or any of our players who are, are demonstrating a little personality on the field. I, I, it's, you know, uh, there's not uh, room in the current game, in my opinion, for, uh, you know, taking a player's, potentially risking a player's health by, by mm-hmm. intentionally throwing an object at them. And, and I think that's probably the, the best approach, and it's the one this, uh, our club has followed over the, the course of the last several years. Obviously, you know, we've more, far more often been on the, the other side of potentially receiving, you know, criticism for being, you know, showing perhaps a little more flair or excitement on the field than, than old school uh, baseball would allow. But again, that's, uh, that's part of the players showing their own personality. And, and there's a, there's a way to stop that from happening. And that's by keeping them in the park. Yep. Rick Hahn is our guest here on, on inside the clubhouse. Uh, a few more minutes here with, uh, with Bruce Levine and Mike Esposito. And Rick, uh, as we look ahead to the playoffs, you know, uh, Bruce and I, we love to speculate. We, we look at uh, how that rotation lines up and, and I know you're not going to give away any trade secrets. You guys may not know just yet how that uh, rotation is going to uh, slide out. But certainly Dane Dunning has pitched himself into consideration, and, and we'll see him tonight against John Lester. Yeah, Dane is definitely in the mix for potentially starting that game three. And, and uh, you know, in a three-game series with Dialito and Keiko going one and two, we might have the ability come game three to – be a little little creative in how we deploy our, our pitchers that day, depending on the usage the first couple of days. Uh, but whether it's uh, Dane or, or Lopey or Cease starting that game or some combination of, of usage of all of them during that game. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.